Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is number three in a series with our friends at In Moment. And again, joined live by Simon Fraser. Hi, Simon. Hi, Simon. Welcome back for number three. And today we're on self-checkout, self-pay. So been a big shift, clearly, in the difficult times we've had to people not wanting to interact or speak to people physically, which I think has driven a lot of pay by mobile, pay by the scanning apps in the supermarkets. Self-checkout, been around for a while, lots of positives from that. I think lots of unanswered questions or evolutions of it still still to come. You guys clearly capture lots of feedback from customers. Payment must be something that you get lots of interesting feedback across your customer platforms of where it went well, maybe where it didn't go well, where it's frustrating, could be done differently. If we kind of leave conventional checkouts out of the way, because they've been around for forever and there's belted ones, stood up ones, they are what they are. I think they're they're probably in a decline. From a, let's call it self-checkout, self-pay point of view, do you see any trends come through or have you seen any changes come through in terms of customer feedback perception in those areas? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 no doubt that there's been a, a huge emphasis in, in retail and hospitality and, and, and wider around making things easier for customers. I would say in 2020, there's also been a move towards making things safer as well. So mm-hmm. less interaction, as you mentioned, less physical closeness has, has also been something that we've seen come through in our data that our desires to feel safe is something that is well suited to, to self-checkout, self-payments. Um, but it's one of those things that actually it can be quite a, an unremarkable way of ending an experience as well. And uh, this then comes down to, I guess, the, the customer expectation of the experience that you're going to deliver. So for some purchases, be it in a convenience store, actually having an unremarkable end is, is probably what you're after um, for other more high-end stores than, um, and, and I could even be in grocery, that you have to ensure that, and this is probably the critical piece, that it has to be the customer's choice that that is the channel of payment that they go down. So having other options available for customers to take, should that be what they wish, is, is critical. Um, so taking out all the tills and only having you know, self-checkout is not something that, that we would recommend based on the data that we see, there's also, you know, the element around how you end an experience. You need to ensure that that's, you know, delivered in a good way. What you don't want to do again is, is end an experience badly in a poorly memorable way. And we talked about this in the last podcast that if you're putting hassle and effort onto your customers, then, then that's going to hurt. And we, we know plenty of examples where actually, Self-checkout hasn't always worked to the, to the best of the, the abilities or the best of capabilities of technology. So ensuring there is someone close at hand, ready, adaptable to, to deal and, and support is something that is, is really important. Yeah. I'll throw my 10 pence worth in the ring then. So my, my frustration is with, and this is primarily self-checkout, not what I'd call self-pay, so on, an, on my phone app or on the, the retailer's app, interventions mm-hmm. so age prompt tags reduce stickers 
If you've got a voucher that he doesn't like, so a paper voucher, item not in bagging area. Drives me absolutely crazy every time. It can be remedied, back to your point, if there's, for me, it comes back to funding, good funding and then good resource deployment to man them. For, and forever a debate in previous life, life at Boots of what's the ratio of colleagues to self-checkouts. Is it four self-checkouts to one colleague? Is it six to one colleague? Is it every trading hour? Is it peak hours? So I think that there's a real thing for me if we step up a level around how you fund it. Yeah. So do you drive the right behaviours by giving the store teams enough funding to make sure they've got the resource available to man it? And what are the requirements? Is it every trading hour? Yeah. Is it double manning at a weekend? If you end up opening six, does it change? Now, that, then you've got to trust them to do it or drive that through your workforce management solution or, or whatever it might be. I think there's also a, a piece around you may fund it, but how do you drive the behaviours? So again, you touched on it. When's the right time that it's self-check out only? Or is there is there ever a right time for it to be that there's no choice? I do see examples where you've almost got a colleague on a, on a traditional till, but they're also manning the self-checkout. Mm. They get the people that want to pay on the traditional till, the red lights going on the self-checkout, so they, they don't quite know whether to finish the transaction, serve the next person, go to the, the people, the poor people that are stuck on the self-checkout and sort them out. So you, you kind of then give the colleague the dilemma of making choices. They'll always make the wrong choice for somebody and the right choice for somebody else. Plus, and, and this was more of a thing when they were introduced but again lots of retailers still not at the self-checkout phase of their journey and looking to it how do you fund the split and what i mean by that is if i'm a retailer at the moment that's only got traditional transact traditional till points a hundred percent of my transactions will go through those till points whether they're on the ground floor first floor bakery deli wherever they are as i move into a world of self-checkout clearly there'll be a business case and an expectation to pay for them that X percent of transactions will go through the self-checkout. So depending on how you fund your staffing model, you've either got to put a hard number in, and I'll make it up, that 40% of transactions go through the checkout, 60% go through the traditional. Therefore, they'll lose resource because they won't need as many hours on the till. You may give them some fixed hours to man the self-checkout, but overall, there'll be a cost saving because you'll be looking at some return on investment in the, the business mm-hmm. case to implement them. Mm-hmm. Now, what you tend to see is if that's not hard-coded and therefore you drive that split through the funding mechanism, if you actually took a till read after six months and said, well, these stores, they're driving 20% through the self-checkout and 80% through traditional tills, what you'll get is local behaviour, people not opening the self-checkout, because they know the more they drive through the traditional tills, the more money they keep in their budget. Right. So there's a couple of different right. things that come mm. to play with all of this. Yeah. So there's a customer piece of choice, which I get. I think there's a funding thing of, so have you got the right funding principles and mechanisms to deliver the, re- the return on investment for putting them in? Because clearly there's a cost to doing this, but also what you want to drive from a customer point of view without putting your colleagues on the tills in a difficult position of having to jump off a till to serve somebody and leave people. So there's a, quite a dichotomy. It's a terrible experience yeah. for everyone. You've made me think about the, the fact that what something I've, I've always seen in, in customer experience data is that actually the perception of how many tills are available 
has uh, has a role to play. So yeah. if you've got 10 banks of tills and only four are occupied, that's worse than having five banks of tills and four are occupied. Still as many occupied is the fact that you've got all that space. So actually store design, ripping out, ripping out those tills is, is one thing that was on my mind. But there's also, there's nothing worse probably than going along. But if you go along to a self-checkout, you can see that there are eight self-checkout tills and three of them are not working yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. That, that's a really bad experience. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth. So yeah, it's interesting to think about the perception of customers about how ready you are for them. Are you going out of your way to make this easy for them? Are you letting technology, are you letting potentially your own budgeting get in the way of, of delivering that experience? There's, an, there's another thing that I was thinking about actually in terms of good experiences because I approach self-checkouts in certain retailers with trepidation thinking bagging in, item not in bagging area is going to come on. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to process this paper voucher on a Saturday or a Sunday because every time I come, it seems somebody tells me it's a different button. It's a supplier coupon. It's a local coupon. You put the price in, you don't put the price in, you call someone anyway. But actually, I give M&S credit. I think last year they made it quite fun because when I'm a Celebrity was on, they had Anton Deck get on yeah. doing it, which was, yeah. which was quite cool. I would have hated to have been a colleague at that point because I think it would have dro- driven me insane to <laughs> listen to him for too long. But actually, even with the new Spark stuff, the opportunity to win your shopping, again, slightly sceptical as always of how many people actually do that. But again, it's an incentive to scan it. Clearly for them, they get data and get the, the loyalty uh, scans up. But it's just a different interaction. So I, I think they've used it well in terms of changing the voices. Mm-hmm. I think that they do it for Britain's Got Talent as well with David Williams, Amanda Holden and what have you. So I, I think... terrible. <laughs> but I think it, it's creative, right? Because yeah, you, right. you either go in... And the voices are blaring. I can't, as it might be, one of the yeah, discounters have the voices really, really loud. And it's almost like some competition next to each other who can get them to shout the loudest through to others that you don't really know what's going on because it's turned off. But yeah, it, the remedy is the key. The remedy for me is the key of how do you have someone available? So you've relied on the budget being right. You've relied on the deployment being right. But actually, the people are then know what they're doing. The worst thing is to have somebody who comes and they've got their override barcode or badge and they're scanning away and in the end, they just void it off because they don't know how to get rid of it or process it. It's like... But, and, and also to your point, if you're taking them from a role where they're serving people on a till or behind a counter and you're then having to affect two sets of customers, those queuing and waiting to be served there but also the person who's having to wait around in the self-checkout so yeah it's it's hard to have a you know a, someone who is just sort of floating around but i'm sure that's a better experience for customers than than not but yeah. there's a lot of idle time so how do you then use their time actually i think in the very first podcast we did we were talking about fitting rooms weren't yep. we about how same, do you same utilize gig. you can take people, yeah you know? i think you can take stuff you can take stuff there for people to do can't you why why would you not have the ability whoever's manning the self-checkouts to do some of the reductions so if yeah. people were doing the price yeah. reductions and they take the stock there and somebody does it I think interesting point about till space, and I think this is going to be a future trend, certainly in probably the grocers to start with where they've got big till banks, new store designs, I suspect they'll have less till banks, more opportunity to scan and pay and scan and go. I don't know if they'll have more self-checkouts because it might skip that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I've seen it uh, again in my time in DIY. Give me a bank of 10 tills and only two people to man it and people will be asking for the manager complaining all day. Give me two tills and give me two people to man it and people will more than happily wait in the queue because the perception is everybody's doing all they can with the equipment they've got. You remind me of something. You'll probably know the answer to this. In our local B&Q, I went in there recently yep. and I said to them, well, what happened to yourself? Check out tills. And they had ripped them all out. Um, I'm not sure for what reason. I, th- I think they were saying it was, it was budget that yep. actually it was costing them so much to maintain and run. There weren't, wasn't the traffic to justify having that. Um, and theirs is probably a difficult example as well because of the breadth of product. Yeah, I'm trying to scan a door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I remember going, I think it was with my dad actually, we went and we were buying some wood for something and the, the self-checker was adamant these bits of really thin, you know, three metre bits of wood needed to be stood on the scales and it's like, come on. But it wouldn't, so the guy had to come over and yeah. say, you know, they there's obviously an override that says these people have got the product they've not put it in but it was an, an, a yeah. needless interaction fine for a bag of nails yeah exactly or exactly. pot but not something bulky. yeah so I, I can see where it works I think there's an interesting halfway point where you've got places now that have got a till that can be a man till or a self checkout mm-hmm. so it gives them opportunity to flip from one to the other which I think is quite cool again you're putting the reliance on the colleagues to get it right but actually, if you've got someone man in the area and you see somebody that's either of a, an age that doesn't want to use a self-checkout or, you know, has got a couple of kids and they're running mm-hmm. around and they just want to pay and it's going to be difficult, you can at least flip it and take a, a physical payment from them or a, a card payment and then flip it back. So I think choice is right. But again, you then put the onus back on the colleagues to make the right choice for the customer. Yeah, I, that's a really good example. Um, they've probably got... Quite a bit of leverage out of this, although for the sake of me, I can't remember the name. It's a Dutch grocer who has set up a, a slow lane for customers who want to interact. And maybe we talked about this yeah. last time, actually, but I thought that was a really neat idea. The fact that if you can sort of personalize the opportunities and personalize the choices for your customers, then I think that's very customer centric, you know, having the right colleague to have that type of interaction at the checkout. Typically, maybe elderly customers who live alone. If you were to rip that out of all Asda's that you couldn't speak to a colleague, I think they would lose a lot of of their their service expectation from that particular retailer. It tips you on its head, doesn't it? Because typically what you see is fast pay lanes, card-only lanes, Mm -hmm. card-only checkouts. So it's about speed of purchase or speed of throughput, not conversation mm. and, and tills we do as you know we do loads of till measurement it's an easier thing to study because you see lots of it which is what you want to do in measurement yeah. and it, it's always interesting when we we speak with clients and we share data and, and show them their data they focus on the end point oh, so it takes me 2.3 minutes to do a transaction how can i make it quicker well the answer to make it quicker is stop your customers speaking as long, stop thanking and saying goodbye, stop packing for them. So it, it, the things that make it quicker materially, other than you could put a whole new till system in and you might go from 2.3 to 2.1, yeah. but it's not going to pay for itself and mm. you know that gain, isn't it? When you start to break it down into the elements, the biggest bit of till transactions are normally greeting the customer and chatting. There is something about finding loyalty cards 
there's a big lag in that these days because it's now it's gone from a physical card to an app. So you've got people scrolling through the phone. So there's a bit about asking for that up front. So the customer's doing the fumble while you're scanning the goods. But most, most of the big gains from a time point of view would be squeezing the customer time, which then comes back to a question of, so what's your brand proposition? Mm. Well, your brand yeah, promise on time for Aldi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to so I, I want to get people ways. through quicker. So that, yeah, right. If we've got any loyalty stuff, and I think Lidl have just introduced a loyalty app. So mm. again, it's interesting. They've got another scanner at the till. Get your app ready first because there's a fumble. So it could make their transactions slower. And then does it scan first time? There's a whole bunch of stuff we're scanning. But it comes back to yeah, sure you can speed all this stuff up from a getting people through quicker. Sometimes slowing it down may give you more leverage from a have you seen today's offers have you got the latest brochure demonstrate knowledge demonstrate expertise especially if you're a specialist retailer and you're going to try and sign someone up to loyalty Mm. again we we work with as you know lots of retailers and they'll say in our till transaction times could you just have could you make a note of people that scan loyalty cards the people that don't scan do we ask them if they've got one and do we try and sign them up and the amount of times you'll see a really high percentage of they didn't have a card and didn't ask to sign up. And when you speak to the colleague, they're kind of like, look, I, I had a queue of people. Mm-hmm. I can't be giving them a form. I can't be taking their email address, their phone number and all this other stuff because I've got a queue. So they almost reduce the ability to drive advocacy and people to opt into loyalty by the fact that they're mm-hmm. wanting to get quick throughput. Yeah, they're measuring two potentially conflicting things, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's interesting. I, I think the other challenge is, say, in my mind, it's going to go more self-pay and the next generation of apps or guns that you get given when you go into a store. So that customer interaction time becomes zero. In in most instances, when the transaction goes correctly, clearly if there's an intervention, it doesn't. But that's a distress point or a it's gone wrong point. So you may end up in lots and lots of journeys, never needing an interaction with a colleague. Yeah, and I was thinking about this from a hospitality point of view. As you know, we, we work with Pizza Hut and um, they recently went cashless. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be really interested, and I'll take a note, to, to find out whether, given less interaction at the end, whether tips have gone down or not. And the, one yep. of the reasons I was thinking about that was... Um, uh, we went to Wagamama. Do you know, it's the only restaurant experience I think I've had since the beginning of March, which says something about me probably more than anything else. But um, so we went to Wagamama. Where you communally sit with lots of other people. Well, no. So it's just a Wagamama. So let's talk about through the journey. So you arrive at the Wagamama and they've got a greeter now. So actually there's a lot of front end interaction because yeah. they have to talk you through the whole process and the fact that they've changed also gives them a chance to engage with the kid. They've got a greeter at the Francis store, which they've introduced as part of COVID to explain the changes that they've made in terms of their environment. And um, they obviously have to pick the right person to be able yep. to have that type of interaction. Probably got to be good with kids, got to, got to make that sort of connection. But actually, in Wagamama now, they've put these sort of Japanese screens up along the benches. Yeah. So actually, you're not forced shoulder to shoulder with a complete stranger any longer. So it'd be interesting to know. I'm sure that's inefficient for them. But actually, from an experience point of view, that is quite nice if you're wanting to have a proper conversation with your family or friends and maybe 
Yeah. So you've yeah. got a little bit more privacy, but with Wagamama at the end, because you scan, I think it's on the placemat, um, you scan the code, you put in what table number you're at, and you can pay during the meal. So you were watching the table that ordered two items and putting their table number. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's the trick in there. Pay someone else's bill. Well, uh, there, there, there is a there's a risk side of things, and we, maybe we'll talk about that uh, around digital payments, particularly in a, in a restaurant world. But um, we, uh, we so we paid, and actually, I left. I did leave a tip, but I left the lowest form of the tip, yep. um, because again, I didn't have the person mm. near me. I wasn't didn't have that engagement with me. So I was grateful for the fact that they'd given us a really nice meal. I wanted to thank them for that. But I didn't get the sense that that there was a sort of a peak ending, an ending that, that delighted me at the end. In fact, as I was leaving, I was doing that classic British thing of saying, I have paid. <laughs> you know, I was, like, I was concerned. It felt weird to just leave a restaurant um, not having had that whole... I'm making the hand signal. Yeah, the I'm international signal hand signal of Bill. Of Bill. Um, so that was that's a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting in the hospitality world to know what the link between experience, payment, and tips. Because actually, tips is a really good way of being able to measure how well you've delighted yeah. your customers. It'd be interesting to know what the trends are there. As I say, there's probably a mixture of gratitude for the fact that we can eat out, but also a slightly diluted experience. It's one we've had before. We were talking about grocers earlier and, and other ways of paying. And um, we were talking about the fact that the, the local Asda here is, has ripped out the booth. Yep. Um, so actually, you pay, you do that whole classic of pre-authorizing. Petrol station um, you're talking, yeah? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the, uh, the, the petrol station in um, at the local Asda. And this caused my my mum all great deals of befuddlement because she couldn't get it to work and sirens were going off and it, it felt like a very un-Asda experience in comparison to the sort of service you expect to receive in stores. So she has said that she won't purchase petrol from there because she didn't get the experience. She didn't understand it. And she was befuddled by, by the technology side of things. So it comes full circle back to the idea around choice. Yep. If the only way to pay for Asda petrol is to do that, there will be some customers who just don't enjoy that experience and don't want that experience. And it's clear what the benefits, and maybe we could talk about that, what the benefits as to are from going completely humanless um, around the petrol forecourts. But what's the problem that they're solving for their customers? And again, when we're talking about technology as a whole, is what is the problem that they're solving for the customer should be at the forefront, not what is the problem that this is going to solve for us. Yeah, and get right. that balance right, then, then you'll be positively received by your customers. I'm sure there was an environmental one for Asda on this one because that petrol station had been there years, so I'm sure the pumps weren't as efficient and all the pull-back mm. of fumes and stuff. But clearly, there's a cost-saving on the two people that used to sit in the shop, the cost-saving on the tech and the tills that were in the shop and the stock that was in the shop and the paper. So I'm sure there's they've seen a downturn in some sales there, mm. but that's probably been outweighed by the cost of not only needing the people there, not paying for the kit, maybe a security risk in terms, you know, petrol stations are the classic things that tend to yeah. have all sorts of horrible things happen with people trying to take the money. Um, and, and even in another supermarket locally, you, you see that somebody having to go and walk the stock across. So they'll go and pick the milk, they'll go and pick the bread, they'll go and pick the sweets that are out. So 
there's a runner that goes and, and with all the health and safety stuff. So I'm sure a lot of that can be automated now with new super duper pumps and all that kind of stuff. I'd be, I'd be interested. I know your mum's had a bad experience, but, and somebody helped her another customer, but when it goes wrong and there's nobody there, I don't quite know how it's fixed because mm. mm. the shop's not exactly close to the, the petrol station. Not at all. It's, it must be a good 200 yards. Probably a little bit further. And yeah. Like I don't, I don't yeah know. They're I, not on hand. And actually, for me, that would be... I suppose the benefit from the customer thinking about it is it's open 24 hours. That is true. That but is only true. if you want to pay that way. That is true. But is there a disconnect to the Asda service that... That's yeah. Certainly I've grown up thinking that that's what Asda are about, is about almost that sort of very warm yeah. sort of service and you're moving to a very sterile environment to, to get your petrol. So I imagine it's probably drawing in non-Asda purchasers, non-Asda yeah. shoppers to go and use that system, get in and out 24 hours. But actually what's it doing for their core customer? And again, that shows the importance of listening to your customers yeah. in as many different ways as you can so you can pick up on on these signals and and probably do the math around what's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's an interesting time for payment, I think. And I suppose the bigger question, which we've not really touched on and nobody knows the answer is, is it all going to be digital card, taps of apps, cash clearly has been driven down in the recent months because nobody wants to handle cash. Nobody wants Mm. you to pay by cash. So this, this might be the start even of a bigger revolution of actually it's all pay by the tap of your watch by, I don't know, a chip that's put in your arm or your head or whatever, <laughs> wherever it goes. But the thing we probably shouldn't forget is, like you said, it's the last point of interaction with any brand. Yeah. It's a bit like we talked in previous podcasts about click and collect and those ends of journeys. And the more it becomes human less, it's got to be slick. It's got to work because the only points of interaction are going to be when it doesn't work. So actually, you're yeah. going to, all you're ever going to do is potentially your final conversation with any brand physically is going to be from a pain point, not from a point of thanks, goodbye, how it's, was your trip today? It's hard to delight a customer unless you're delightfully frictionless. So yeah. I suppose if you could be first to offer some sort of technology or some sort of technique, then that will stick in people's minds. But otherwise, you are sitting in the in the unmemorable zone where it's, it's above the adequate levels that you're looking for. It's below what would be super memorable. And and when you're sitting in that in that vector, then there's a real risk that your customers will just consider the next shiny, more convenient solution to their purchase yeah. than, than you're offering. And uh, I mean, if you think about retail, I think we both work with um, like Hotel Chocolat has come to my mind that there's that whole, if it could free that colleague up to engage more about the products, do the samples and, yep. and, and things like that, then that's great. The risk always is, of course, when you're taking out cost, are you just taking out cost or you're not putting it back into the store or back into the moments that matter for your customers? So that, again, is is a calculator, financial calculation yeah. that businesses, retailers, everyone else needs to make as to when you're saving money, how are you redeploying that? And that, we have this conversation quite a lot because we'll get people that come to us and say, you know, we want to understand our workload. Da, da, da. And, the, and the primary driver for that might be to understand the investment in service or to reduce cost or a bit of both. If people come to us and say it's all about cost, 
there's kind of two answers. One is, well, if you want to save 10%, take 10% out of the budget. I guarantee you the two things that will suffer will be customer service and training because they're the two biggest variables. So people are still going to put stock out. People are still going to do the binary stuff that you send them down from head office to range changes, the merchandising, the promo. What they won't do is be there to serve people or they won't be there or you get longer queues at the checkout because there's not enough people to go in the checkouts and they won't get their training. Those are the intangible things that go. And you might see a rise in complaints or customer satisfaction scores drop. That's the consequence of that if you measure it. Mm. Yeah, and again, if you can see people who could be available to help but are task orientated that again is a big no-no from a customer experience but that, perspective. that comes That's back to your brand purpose of if you're aspiring to be this brilliant all-encompassing customer-led organization but you're delivering maybe something that's more akin to a discounter that disconnect becomes huge from a customer point of view i think if you're up front and say look it's cheap the trade-off for that is you're probably going to have to wait a little bit at the checkout. So I think people still might not like it, but the expectations set before. Mm. Um, yeah, back to the point, I think. So we get organisations that say they want to save some some money. Actually, the smart ones want to understand how long things take, then come up with a roadmap of things that they can instantly stop, do differently, review, deal with tech, deal with leadership, deal with changing hearts and minds to drive it out of process. Mm because they understand actually if they do it relatively bluntly is the service side that's going to suffer. And then, and then their people side, that's when you then, I think, see the spikes in the customer side, you see spikes in attrition, you see spikes in sickness, because what you've done is not giving the people the ability to fulfill what you're asking them to do yeah. credibly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also, I, I, I like really like the idea of the roadmap as well, because actually you can do something in a gradual phased way you can take the customers with you because actually if you can do it in a in a way that perhaps is unnoticed or at least their expectations are being changed as you're along that journey, that's a lot better than, as you say, you're going to create a spike if something that customers love is suddenly taken out yeah. because they're trying to find that 10%. Yeah, t- take the 10% out, you kill the, kill the service, kill the training because the paperwork that goes down and all the back office admin is still the same. And there'll be a KPI or a metric or a loss prevention officer or an auditor that will come in and those teams will know that if that paperwork's not done, they then have a red KPI, which causes them pain for a number of reasons. What isn't picked up in that is the fact that to do that paperwork, people have to queue longer at the tills. Yeah. Or we don't give out the free samples of chocolate in that in that example. So that that's the invisible trade-offs, I suppose, that people have to make at times. It's worthwhile just flipping this, actually, because we've been quite rightly looking at this from a customer angle or maybe yeah. from a business angle. But there's also an employee angle as well around the messages that certain changes signal. But also probably the best people who can tell you what to do are your employees. Absolutely. Um, so how you engage them in in feedback and and culture change and designing customer experiences differently as well is something that the very best businesses do very well. It's the ones who aren't connected with their, I hate to use the word, front line, then, yeah. then, then that's where you've got the problems. Yeah, it's interesting. We've, we've done a bit of work recently on self-checkouts, ironically. And one of the asks was give us some insight into interventions so the number of times somebody's in a process and they'll need a colleague to go and help them because back to my start point, 
not in bagging area, age restriction, da 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 da. And one of the really interesting things that came out of it, other than the percentages of reasons by the different categories they'd, um, they'd agreed, there was two suppliers that they work with that their barcodes don't scan on the self-checkouts. They don't sell many products in that organisation, but two suppliers. And you could see every time that one of those items was in a basket, the colleague that was manning would know there's going to be an intervention. So some stuff you can't fix. If it's got a security tag on and he's taking off or there's an age prompt, that kind of stuff, fine, done. There was a big, over 10% of the interventions were based on these things not scanning. And we didn't need to measure that. We came back with the stats and it was part of the output. But actually, the answer was already there if they'd have asked the colleagues that man the self-checkouts, what are your biggest problems with interventions? Now, they wouldn't have had the science, but they'd have been able to flag that over 10% bit was these two suppliers' barcodes don't scan. So there's a fix then, clearly, for the buyer to go back and say, what's the issue? How do we rectify it? And all of a sudden, you've freed up 10% of your intervention time. That's that's a great example. Um, I'm also wondering, I don't know where we're at in terms of AI and facial recognition and, and things like that, but your point about age. Yeah. Is it, are you aware of anyone deploying techniques to say, yeah, that, that person clearly can buy wine <laughs> or something like that? I, I don't know. I wonder whether that, that might be a step in the process I, to come. I think there's some stuff out there where you can send it somewhere else. So there's certainly, whether it's facial recognition or not, but from a an age prompt, if you've got, back to my example, of somebody manning a till and the self-checkout. Yeah, they'll get an alert yeah. to that person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, it has to be, I think, an active prompt, as in the computer can't make a stab at the age. It has to be somebody who says, you know, take a look mm-hmm. over, and I don't know how that comes with the ID part. But yeah, there's definitely stuff out there for prompts. Mm-hmm. Again, in a, in a future world, would that be onto somebody's watch? Would it be to different yeah. people in the store? Because if that person's got their head down or is doing whatever, it, you still end up with the same bottleneck. Yeah, I think all that stuff will come. It's just getting into the world of, I suppose, where, at what do customers, how do customers want to pay in the future? Mm. I think the older generation will always want a conversation because that's part of their ecosystem and getting out and some people that'd be one of the only conversations they have each week is when they go and do the shopping i think the the younger generation will want the quickest fastest whizziest tech way to pay mm. we talked about amazon go and their trial shops previously and i can't quite get my head around putting stuff in a trolley and then just walking out back to your wagamama's thing i'll be waving my arm saying <laughs> i've paid or it's gone on the account or whatever but i think you're gonna have to cater f- as now, but I think it will just change as tech grows for varying choices. Yeah, I suppose the challenge for any any retailer is what proportion of that demographic want to pay in those ways, and if that shifts, so it does move massively away when we're in the I suppose the elder demographic and we're used to paying on our mobiles. Mm-hmm. Does that rule out there's ever going to be a need for face to face? I don't know. It, it's moving clearly. Climate and uh, COVID have, have changed it short term. It's how much of that sticks as well. I, I wonder whether the ability, again, across retail and, and, and elsewhere to adapt to COVID has made people feel more confident in their ability to adapt to change and, mm-hmm. and going more digital as well, because there's so much change that's happened in a relatively short space of time. 
will that fuel people to continue to look at new ways of innovating and, and uh, adapting to, to customers? But again, it comes back to knowing your customers very well. What happens and is right in one locality, yeah. the one type of attitude will be very different elsewhere. So how well you can personalize experience to your target shopper base will be important. Good. I think there's, there's lots we don't know. There's clearly lots of it, lots of experienced. The world's changed. So again, final example, I suppose, I would never have thought my mum had been able to go online and do an online shop at a supermarket and even click and collect. And what she's learned in the last couple of months is that she can do it and she carries on doing it. So again, you've got a demographic that you would have clearly put in there, physical shopper, likes to go and have a chat at the checkouts now through to well, actually I'll just sit at home and do it and then I'll drive and collect it at my leisure and someone will chuck it in the boot and I'm done. So that that's how unpredictable it is, I suppose. I think the key takeouts for me are the, the journeys aren't still that smooth. There's lots of interactions, certainly on the self-pay, self-checkout point that could be ironed out with asking the teams and data. And it's still really uncertain into how it's going to split out in the future and what the future holds for the flexibility of payment, I suppose, and the ability to understand what your customers want and deliver that. Another good chat. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. 